The first of my posts to the Facebook group was a focus summary of Part 3, Book 5. What can be said about this chapter? I imagine you felt much like Michelle Fleshard, cast without transition from hell to heaven. Michelle Fleshard had been wandering in a confused, death-like march through the woods, sleepless, starving, with bleeding feet, able to think only of her children and the Torg. When she sees a shadowy edifice a league away, quote, she did not hesitate to begin walking that league, unquote. As Hugo has shown us, women may be weak, but mothers are strong. When she finally arrives at the plateau overlooking the ravine, a veil of smoke rises between her and what she was looking at, and the building becomes illuminated as if by daylight. A baleful kind of daylight. Hugo then has us live, moment by torturous moment, Michelle Flechard's realization that the Torg is on fire, and that her children are in that fire. She is able to vaguely see the inside of the rooms, then to see cabinets full of books, and then to see on the floor, quote, a jumbled little heap, something which had the confused, indistinct appearance of a nest or a brood, unquote. And finally, quote, a bright glow abruptly made the three sleeping children clearly visible. They formed a charming little group, with arms and legs intertwined, eyes closed, fair hair, and smiling faces." Unquote. Feverish, exhausted, famished, she at first believes she is hallucinating, and then she knows. I still recall the first time I read this, feeling the profound horror of this moment, and then coming upon an extended monologue. My distinct thought was, what? What on earth could he have her say? What words could a human being utter in a moment like this? And then I remember reading the passage and thinking, those words. It was here that I conceptualized the higher-than-God idea. An author having a character place himself above that which is regarded as the highest of moral concepts to express the most profound anger or anguish. Quote, Dear Jesus, I want my children. Oh, I don't know what I'll do. They can't die. I won't have it. Help! 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 Oh, if they die like that, I'll kill God. We are also made to experience the painful innocence of the children and the helplessness of the soldiers. With the fire enveloping them, the children were, quote, sleeping the deep and simple sleep of childhood, peaceful, winsome, and motionless, like three trusting baby Christs sleeping in an inferno, unquote. And Hugo again gives voice to our horror, quote, and a tiger would have wept to see those roses in that furnace and those cradles in that tomb." Unquote. We are also made to feel the helplessness of the soldiers, the anxious, staring faces of helpless men who could kill but not save. They looked and could do nothing. They try breaking down the door with axes and iron bars. The axes break and the bars snap. They cry for a ladder, or water. They have no ladder, and they have no water. 
and finally Radub, in desperation, wounded and dripping sweat and blood, throws himself on the bridge and tries to climb it with his fingernails. And the mother, in despair, allows herself to roll limply down the ravine. Until finally, the Marquis, having fumbled with the key in his pocket and the conflict in his soul, returns, and walks into the abyss with firm steps, holding his head high. He lowers the ladder, retrieves the children, with eyes glistening kisses little Georgette on the head, and then descends the ladder himself with the majesty of a phantom and the aura of sacred horror as around a vision. And finally, we can breathe again. Lantanac is arrested, and he approves. The children are saved, but the story is far from over. The second of my posts to the Facebook group was my favorites from Part 3, Book 5. Many of my favorites from this chapter were expressions of Michelle Fleshard's epic despair and her incarnation of motherhood. When she first saw her little darlings, peacefully sleeping, their legs intertwined, cradled in the fire, quote, she uttered a frightful cry. This cry of inexpressible anguish is given only to mothers. Nothing is fiercer, and nothing is more touching. When a woman utters it, one thinks it has come from a she-wolf. When a she-wolf utters it, one thinks it has come from a woman. Michelle Flechard's cry was a howl." Unquote. Or when she leaned over the ravine, wretched, formidable, and transfigured. Quote, Great sorrow is a gigantic expansion of the soul. That mother was motherhood. Everything which epitomizes humanity is superhuman. Her cry was that of a beast, but her gestures were those of a goddess. Curses fell from her lips, and her face was like a mask of flame. Nothing could have been more sovereign than the flash of her tear-filled eyes. Her gaze hurled lightning at the fire. And when she received her rescued children into her arms, quote, The mother was at the foot of the ladder, panting, feverish, intoxicated by all those unexpected events, having been cast without transition from hell to heaven. She held out her arms, received Groalan first, then René Jean, then Georgette. She covered them with kisses, then burst out laughing, and fainted." Unquote. Other of my favorites were depictions of the children's angelic innocence. When they saw the unique dawn brought by the fire, and contemplated its splendors, quote, Fire is lavish. It is full of jewels which it scatters in the wind. It is not for nothing that a lump of coal is identical with a diamond. Cracks had opened in the wall of the third story through which the fire was pouring cascades of gems into the ravine. The pile of straw and oats that was burning in the loft was beginning to stream through the windows in avalanches of golden dust. The oats turned into amethysts, the straw into garnets. Pretty, said Georgette. Unquote. And when they begin to feel the heat and try to understand, quote, where men are terrified, children are curious. Those who are easy to astonish are difficult to frighten. 
there is an intrepidity in ignorance. Children have so little right to hell that if they saw it, they would look at it with wonder." Unquote. Other favorites were depictions of Radub's tender and humane heroism. When, to reach the children, he tried hopelessly to scale a wall, quote, Radub, wounded, with one ear shot off and a saber cut in the shoulder, rushed forward, dripping sweat and blood, and he began trying to climb up the bridge. It was a futile attempt. He dug his fingernails between the stones and hoisted himself for a few minutes, but the stones were smooth, without any breaks or bulges, and were as tightly joined as they had been when the bridge was new. And when, after the Marquis's magnanimous action and then bold affront, long live the king, Radub said, quote, You can yell anything you want and talk nonsense if you feel like it, but you're still an angel as far as I'm concerned. Unquote. The last of my posts to the Facebook group is one very precious to me. The 19th century literary critic Stopford Brooke wrote, Quote, this is a cry out of the heart of all mothers of the world of man from the beginning, nay, the cry of all mother beasts and birds before man was known on the earth, all the tragedy of motherhood which has loved and lost. A great poet came by, and we have this, the depths of sorrow, the depths of love, infinite pity, infinite motherhood, a world on a world." Unquote. He said this not about Michel Flechard, but about Tennyson's Rizpah. This is my favorite poem, and it seemed the right time to introduce you to it. It was very difficult for me to read, but, as Hugo has said, great sorrow is a gigantic expansion of the soul. You will find it in a separate link on the Facebook group or in the email. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs>